0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the climate revolution. My name is Johan Bernot, and I'm on a mission to shake things up. It is time we get serious and address this climate crisis. In each episode, I'll provide a platform for top climate thinkers, entrepreneurs, and investors to share their insights, innovations, and contrarian views. Let's learn from visionary thought leaders and hear their ideas that can profoundly reshape society and bring us one step closer to a sustainable world. Allegra, it's a great pleasure to have you on Climate Insiders. Welcome.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So I would like to to understand, and probably it's a good point to start, most people expect Breakthrough Energy to be an enormous fund, a huge corporate office, dozens of PhDs and researchers working in dark rooms. But you're (laughs) actually (laughs) actually living on your own in Brussels, piloting a, a remote first Tiny team of four, I believe. Can you paint us the daily life of a partner at Breakthrough Energy Ventures?
1: Oh, wow. Um, So at the end of the day, as as you know, uh, climate is a global issue. Um, So um, given that um, nobody suffers from the not invented here syndrome um, and that we seek the best solution in order to hopefully get to net zero in due time, Um, we're forced to acknowledge that we also need to do something in Europe and then at some point, hopefully also in Asia and Africa and and so on. Um, so with, with that in mind, uh, basically, um, it's actually Bill Gates, the founder of Breakthrough Energy, Mm -hmm. um, who gave that impulse, I would say to set up, um, also an activity, uh, in, in Europe. And so. As, as you know, breakthrough energy is more than just investing in disruptive technologies. We have other activities throughout the, the lifetime of a, of a company, um, and so each of those are also replicated uh, in, in Europe. But um, if you're talking more specifically about Breakthrough Energy Ventures Europe, uh, mm-hmm. which is the daughter vehicle of Breakthrough Energy Ventures US, um, it's, it's exactly uh, the same thing, only it's smaller, and dedicated to um, Europe only. So um, we work day-to-day with the rest of the partnership based out of the US. So uh, the four of us do <laughs> have long uh, hours at night, given the mm-hmm. time difference. Um, but we invest, I would say, according to the same processes. We work on a day-to-day basis with the American colleagues, um, which just boots on the ground uh, in Europe, Uh, But other than that, I would say that uh, the discipline and the threshold that we have regarding impact remains the same. Uh, The scope and the way we have, I would say, um, divided the economy in order to decarbonize, each sector remains the same. The processes are the same. Um, It's just a geographical uh, scope uh, because at the end of the day, there are, I think, um, cultural differences between U.S. and Europe. Uh, and you do need, I would say, boots on the ground if you want to, uh, well, play your role um, correctly as, 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 a, as a venture investor. You need to be close to the entrepreneurs. You need to help them out. Uh, and, and that is a bit more difficult if you're partner on the West Coast to work with, I don't know, a Danish entrepreneur, for instance. So that's, that's the reason.
0: Yeah, no. So, so there is a breakthrough energy ventures uh, U.S. I believe it's fund three by now, and you can kind of give us where the breakthrough energy ventures Europe is at. How many, how how many uh, millions do you have under management? And this is fund one, I guess, for you.
1: Yeah. Um, So indeed, Um, in the U.S., we started in 2015, 2016 with a one billion U.S. dollar fund. Then there was a vintage number two with 1.2 billion. We're about to launch the third uh, vintage, which is going to be in the same um, logic and mindset and investment ma- mandate that, uh, that the first two. And then you have the daughter vehicle, Briefly Energy Ventures Europe, which has 100 million euros under management. Um, and so basically, our LPs are, on the one hand, the two first vintages that I just mentioned, um, mm-hmm. and then European Investment Bank. Um, so these are the, the LPs of um, of uh, the daughter vehicle in Europe.
0: I see. And is the, the, the goal to scale to a billion in Europe as well, or it seems unrealistic?
1: Uh, I I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that um, the reason why we, we structure a smaller fund to begin with uh, was a little bit to see um, um, how it would work out with uh, the European Investment Bank, uh, which is, I would say, a very peculiar kind of animal in terms of LP, uh, especially in a structure where we are 50 50. Um, so, they, I mean, they, they mm. weigh fairly um, uh, qu- quite a bit on on uh, the documentation and so on, given that there are 50% uh, LP on, on the European uh, fund. But yeah, uh, obviously, um, I mean, Europe has uh, the same issue regarding uh, climate change. At the end of the day, um, there's a certain number of things that are a little bit more advanced actually, uh, in Europe. And so we absolutely need to leverage that in order to make it happen.
0: Yeah. And, and so you and I were speaking about the cultural differences, but also within the team. But it is very much two techni- technical and en- uh, different legal entities, but you are under the same umbrella. So you share resources, deal flow, you help each other out, you go on retreats together. It is very much of one team. Exactly. So it's
1: one team, several vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is the way we, we basically operate. So we'll look at climate problem. We split the economy into five verticals. Uh, we articulate thesis for each of those in order to um, have kind of a ranking of the different technical approaches that, that could help to solve those climate issues. Um, mm-hmm. And and then what well, that get disseminated throughout uh, the team and whether we're going to find, uh, I don't know, um an Israeli company that is going to solve the issue of uh, producing low cost hydrogen or we're going to find an American company that is going to do battery recycling so be it um uh, that's that's the way we uh, we work
0: yeah yeah we're going to get to that i want to definitely drill down into certain categories that you double click on uh, just a little anecdote before that i started a, my my first startup in kenya and as a matter oh, wow. of fact we raised <laughs> we raised funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation back in 2015 which in my view is is almost the predecessor of breakthrough energy ventures different scope and focus but uh, probably they planted the seed in bill gates mind to start breakthrough uh, and after stepping down from my startup my dream was to become to work for breakthrough energy that was in 2017 and so uh, it looks so shiny and you know impressive <laughs> from the outside but boy, was it hard to get in touch with the Breakthrough team. And it still is, in my opinion. So I cold yeah. emailed, I pinged everyone on LinkedIn. I'm kind of that guy that you hate, right? That just uh, sends a cold emails. Uh, and the only person that accepted to jump on a meeting was Tim Heidel, which I <laughs> say hi, by the way, if he's listening. So why does Breakthrough look from the outside as this impenetrable fortress? Is it by design? <laughs> is it the culture? Or <laughs> it just happened? no.
1: Um, and, and to be honest, I, I had the same experience um, when uh, when I applied. Uh, so basically, um, I really wanted to to join. So I've, I've been an entrepreneur. I've been in venture capital for 10 years and I wanted yeah. to do something in climate. So at the time I looked at the markets like, I mean, the holy grail is basically breakthrough and ventures because it has all those different programs because it's established to last 20 years um, mm-hmm. because they have PhDs on the team. Um, but obviously I didn't have exactly um, the perfect pedigree uh, in terms of what they were looking for. So they're looking for former entrepreneurs with um, exit with nine uh, figures uh, or yeah. people with uh, with a PhD and, and an industrial experience that they could put to good use in the framework of our technical due diligence. Um, I had neither of those. <laughs> um, so I've, I've hit the wall as well. So uh, indeed, I think that this is something that we truly need to improve, uh, to be honest with, uh, with you. This is something that I, I'm working on um, as much as I can in order to, to troubleshoot that, that issue. Um, it's just the, the consequence of, of the fact that we have now 110 portfolio companies and everybody is, is extremely busy. Um, so it's it's uh, don't take it personally, so
0: to speak. Yes, I've, I've been there. <laughs> and entrepreneurs um, that also apply to breakthrough, they face the same. So don't take it personally. They're just very busy. <laughs>
1: um, but we, we we we're getting better. Uh, There's still room. Uh, there still is room for improvement. I hear you loud and clear. That's uh, completely true, and I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, but we're getting better also because we have added the, all those different programs. So you have fellows, for instance, which is really for a lab scale uh, kind of project. And so that, that team is giving out grants, so subsidy, non-dilutive capital for, for those super early stage before L 4 kind of a, a project. So that is also helping with declogging, I would say, the funnel. Um, and on the other hand of the spectrum, we also have catalysts now. Um, and so Catalyst is for, I would say, funding first of a kind plants. The issue with those is that typically you're gonna um, you, you're gonna suffer from a green premium that nobody wants to uh, fund. But at the end of the day, if you truly want to go through the cost curve, well, you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Catalyst' um, purpose um, is is to fund, I would say, that that green premium in the first of a kind plant. So we're getting better because the ecosystem is also uh, larger. We have more colleagues in the breakthrough energy universe. And so hopefully we're getting a little bit better um, at uh, getting back to to entrepreneurs, co-investors and other people. And I would say like-minded people in the ecosystem.
0: So, so you mentioned, so there's the fellowship program, Breakthrough Energy Fellowship, which is a separate entity. They have their own budget. They have their own runway then the venture's arm, which is the VC arm, and then Catalyst as also another entity. Is that correct? So basically,
1: you have Breakthrough Energy, which is a nonprofit organization where you have a number of different activities. So you have Fellows, you have Catalyst, you have Advocacy. So everything that pertains to uh, voicing the concerns of of the um, VC community and what needs to change from a policy standpoint in order to well, make it happen, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. All of this is, is, um, is non-profit and is a host within an umbrella organization, which is Breakthrough Energy, which has Bill Gates uh, for, for founder. Uh, and in the middle, so to speak, uh, if you were to look at the company Technologic Maturity, um, you have the Venture Program, which is for profit. So indeed, it's, it's lodged into a different han- entity for, for that reason.
0: I see. But wait a minute. I don't want to lose the track of the previous conversation because you said you didn't have the pedigree. You also struggled like anyone else. So everyone listening is probably saying, uh, how, did you, how on earth did you land that partner role at Breakthrough? Any tip there? How, how can someone um, land a, <laughs> this kind <laughs> of dream job?
1: Uh, I guess that there um, were, well, a little bit of luck in terms of, uh, of timing, uh, s- certainly a healthy dose of perseverance. Um, <laughs> I had made my decision that I wanted to join Breakthrough, so at any cost, <laughs> I was ready to make it happen. Um, ready to kill? <laughs> <I was laughs> maybe not. Uh, not. Not that far. But uh, no, I was lucky enough, I would say, to get in touch with them just before they, um, they were about to set up the European um, venture, and so they needed people with uh, boots on the ground. Um, but yet, when they started off Breakthrough Energy Ventures Europe, because I didn't have the pedigree, um, I, I didn't fit, I would say, the profile that um, EIB was expecting. So this is at that point that they hired uh, Gaetan Bonhomme, who's my colleague mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 um, in Paris. And so Gaetan has um, a PhD in material science. He was the co-founder of uh, Curion, which is a, a nuclear waste management company that he sold off for a couple of hundreds of millions to Veolia, which is a pretty sizable uh, exit. And so he did fit the pedigree and the profile that EAB um, wanted to to see. So they hired him first. Um, And and then at some point, Gétain was, well, actually, I need somebody else. I'm struggling here. (laughs) And this is where I came in. So it was, I guess, pure opportunism. (laughs) I was lucky enough that um, Gaetan uh, raised his hand saying, well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm genuine in my uh, intention, but I mean, I have only two hands and there's only 24 hours in the day. So please get get somebody else on the European team because it's just too much to do.
0: I mean, you're underselling yourself because you had something special and at Clementum Capital, we struggle to find partners, you know, partner level, uh, qualified people. I mean, you do have the track, you've been in VC for 10 years. You have the obsession for climate. You also sit in the middle of the Nebula, right? In Brussels, which also helps probably with EIB and the European institutions. So you <laughs> have what true. it takes. Also, yeah,
1: and- <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> they ended up seeing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats for being here and doing such a good job. So I, I wanted to also um, double click on what you said. Bill Gates is kind of the shadow man kind of pulling the strings. But how I actually involved is he in the investment decision process or, you know, does he need to provide his OK and a stamp of approval on every deal or is just the rainmaker?
1: So um, Bill Gates within the venture entity He's an anchor investor. Um, he is not um, the sole investor of Breakthrough Energy Ventures. And so, as such, he has the same, um, I would say, um, responsibility and obligation as any LP. Um, mm-hmm. We're very grateful for him because otherwise we wouldn't exist, obviously. And to be honest, the strength of, of Breakthrough is in all the other, I would say, solution and programs that he has launched and that he is uh, funding. Um, I would say that he is very much involved in any way he can. He's super impressive in terms of the uh, memory. So you, get, you give him a memo of the, I don't know, 500 companies that we have screened on the first quarter. He actually reads that and mm-hmm. it actually sinks in so he's going to ask a very specific question. Then, so why did you, for instance, put that aside? What did you think of this one? Um, so it's it's mind blowing, to
0: be honest. To interact, yeah, the man with, is a machine.
1: The, the, the <laughs> We've man seen is that machine. on Netflix.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and he is. Um, I would say that while well, he's putting his position, his reputation um, at at you. So. Uh, He's doing a lot of uh, trips in order to meet with dignitaries, with policymakers, to advocate um, in the direction of, okay, we need, I don't know, a critical minerals program. Uh, We need uh, subsidies in order to recycle batteries. I don't know. We need to think about what are we going to do with our waste. And so he he does uh, use his um, uh, reputation both in the U.S., in Europe and elsewhere um in order to well try to make progress in the right direction make the needle move as 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 much as possible and it's true that well he has access that we don't have individually let's be honest
0: i mean it do it does have a reputation and and uh, access it and, and in terms of investment comedy, this is also a question that's recurring, right? In the climate tech world, um, most VC funds are trying to structure it in the most optimal way. So knowing that you have such an enormous anchor LP, and he also wants to dig into every case, or at least uh, learn a lot, is he actually involved in the investment comedy? Or what is the structure internally? And also knowing that you share the same team, but you have different vehicles. Anything you could, you could um- share?
1: So the investment committee, he's not involved. Uh, it's made out of two people, which hopefully makes us uh, agile and nimble enough at decision making when we get to that point. Um, and so we have a little bit, I would say, the way I simplify it is that we have one person in charge of technology, impact, IP, um, R&D roadmap. How are you going to mitigate the? How you going to get to the technical milestones that you you still have to to meet and so on. And so that Eric toon, um, and and the man the man is just um, um, I was going to say in French, puis de science. It's it's uh, it's really um, humbling to be working with uh, Eric toon uh, because the ex- extent of his knowledge. Is, uh, is, is really, uh, amazing. Um, so Eric is going to be, yeah, about the impact thesis, about the technology, what is disruptive, the mechanism of impact. How do we get to an economic equation that makes sense? Because you can have on paper a technology that is super disruptive. If it remains twice as expensive as the rest, well, nobody is going to buy it. Nobody is going to adopt it. And so you won't get the impact that you seek in the first place and you won't get to prof- profitability either. So from a venture perspective, you're kind of screwed. Um, so that's Eric. And then we have Carmichael Roberts, who's a venture capitalist um, and, uh, and an entrepreneur uh, by background. He's also, technically speaking, uh, super strong, to be honest. But he also, he then, I would say, focuses a little bit more on the other aspect of, of a venture um, so the, the ambition of the entrepreneurs at uh, the track record, um, the, the cultural mindset, mindset of, of the team, the business model, um, the financial terms. Um, so all of the uh, other aspects that Eric don't necessarily, uh, cover. And so with those two, typically we get to a point where we, uh, can get to a decision at the IEC level. But so Bill Gates is not at the, um, investment committee. Uh, he is obviously sitting at, um, the board of directors of the organization. Um, and whenever he needs, um, we, we obviously provide, I would say, uh, a memo. Um, let's say, I don't know, tomorrow he goes to Spain to discuss hydrogen strategy. And uh, mm-hmm. well we're gonna write a memo about, okay, so these, this is our thesis, these are the investments that we have already done. Um, these are the ones that we would like to do in order to complete um, the picture. Uh, and he's going to leverage that, those insights uh, in order to, um, well, get the ball moving uh, in the right direction.
0: I see. That's a bit of an unusual structure and in a way inspiring because we find most funds rely on on the shoulders of their partners, right? The partner by default or the founding partner by default is on the investment committee, And this is where there's a bit of an ego friction, right? So you kind of need to preserve your seat. But it seems like your structuring is... Uh, more meritocratic. You identify two guys that sit at the top that filters and, and use their intelligence to make the final call. And the rest of the partnership is really working hand in hand to submit the best possible proposals. Yep. Would you say that it's uh, it's actually an even better structure to have independent minds that are just uh, just the best, you know, to make the final shots?
1: Well, I like it very, very much. Um, then it, it forces us also um, as, as partners to, um, as you say, to uh, come up with filtered kind of opportunities because the time with the IC is kind of precious. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to organize ourselves accordingly in order to make, to make it work.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's super inspiring. Great to know that. And um, initially, Breakthrough was also designed to fill the gaps. So back in the days in 2015, when I spoke to Tim, Uh, generalist funds were not invested in climate or not in hardware deep tech. Now we definitely have a lot more of those funds, Uh, you know, specialists in climate, Uh, but obviously that must have changed. So you've heavily deployed in startups that might overlap in certain sectors like carbon capture, fusion, hydrogen. When do you decide to invest again in in those sectors? and uh, Or do you have um, a bit of a, a rule where you would not, invest in two potential competitors or as long as there's any kind of overlap?
1: So usually um, the problems that we target are by definition large enough because for us to make an investment, we need to see the case for 0.5 gigatons of CO2 emission being mitigated every year by the time the technology would have scaled. So this is not something that we expect at the gate. Um, But so that requires typically uh, disruptive technology rather than an incremental uh, improvement. And that requires a fairly large addressable market. I mean, if you have a disruptive technology that is addressing the need of a niche market, we don't get to 1% of greenhouse gas emission being mitigated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, there's room for more than one startup uh, to um, approach and to address that, that that climate issue. So we have the Um, I would say we have enough room on the market to make several bets for the same issue. And so, for instance, what you said about direct air capture is is a good example. We have several of those bets. Um, What we do um, um, pay attention to is to make sure that their technological approach is indeed uh, differentiated. So they might compete regarding to the end market, but that end market is big enough to welcome uh, several uh, ventures. Um, the only thing is that they don't compete on on technology, so they have different technology approach, in order to sell to solve the same issue. Um, and so this is the way we 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 think about it. And yeah, I mean, uh, hydrogen is, is the same issue. I, we need to get to well below two dollars a kilo of green hydrogen produced, and that needs to be produced in a variety of different hubs with different electricity price and so on. So, again, there's room for more than, than, than a startup. And also, I mean, if we do get, let's say, at $1 uh, a kilo of, of green hydrogen, then the market is so big um, that, again, you have access to, 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 to I mean, you have the oppor- room and opportunity mm-hmm. for uh, more than one or two companies uh, to become profitable and, and, and to make it work.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it takes me to the the, the question, is, is breakthrough structured as with a performance mind where you need to optimize for returns or or more impact? So on a given case, you're always going to think about impact first, regardless of its potential performance profile, or you kind of have to justify, does that fit that fund lifetime and this will return enough in the next 10 plus two years?
1: Um, so I would say that impact is very much integrated in everything that we do. Um, so it's kind of a first filter that we use. If we don't see the case for 0.5 gigatons, we don't engage in, in due diligence. And to be honest with you, this is usually reason number one for us declining to engage. Um, yeah. and, and then we, 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 um, I would say, um, we behave like, um, a, another venture capital, uh, firm. Um, so we de- we do need to see the case. Um, for returns that are commensurated with the amount of risk that we take. Um, the only thing is that I would say that return is uh, calculated in in um, multiple of invested money rather than in RRR, reason being that we patient investor structured to last 20 years. Uh, and for that reason, if you have to compute in RRR, uh, it, it becomes mathematically a little bit more complicated. But we have, I would say, yeah. the same um, ambition and requirement regarding return potential than any other VC firm um, on our companies.
0: And since you're one of the few funds that have been going through a full cycle, right? So you've seen bull and BEAR, and you have enough years of existence to start deriving interesting data, anything you could share on the actual performance of Fund 1? What are we looking um, at? <laughs> that's
1: tough because at this point in time, well, there's a lot to be honest with you that is theoretical, it's just the process of okay, where is the valuation now um, of the past rounds? Uh, and I mean, until you have an actual exit, um, that's the moment where you can actually measure performance. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have only a few, a handful of companies that, that went public. Um, and so there you can see uh, where is the, um, uh, the quote at, at, at the moment. Um, but, but for the rest to be, to be honest, it's completely, uh, theoretical.
0: Yeah, I do. Actually, I've done a bit of research and out of 110 uh, portfolio companies, you've had five exits, at least that's what's been publicly communicated. Quantum scape, which when, um, yep. acquired as a SPAC, yep. IonQ IPO, then Excel Energy IPO, ESS IPO, and then 1336, which was acquired. Pretty awesome because it gives us as an industry some benchmark, right? It is definitely possible to IPO. You can get acquired via SPAC or different acquisitions. It's not fairyland. We're not telling lies here. It is absolutely doable. And also, I think it's, it shocked everyone how quick, right? It was quicker than anticipated, because your breakthrough was initially, you know, setting a target a milestone twenty years out, but this happened much quicker than anyone anticipated. Would you agree?
1: No no, that's true. That was before I, I joined for for, for most of, uh, of, of the companies that, uh, that you mentioned, but definitely, um, I think that uh, it, it ha- I mean those IPOs or going to public market materialized much earlier than anybody expected. Um, but yeah, w- we're not here to, um, I would say, um, uh, re- reduce the pace of, of, of any of those companies, quite the contrary. We're trying to act as a, as a catalyst. So if there's such opportunity that allows the company to raise more money to deploy its um, solution as quickly as possible, while well, we're all for uh, that and we're going to be in support.
0: Yeah, for sure. A- another question is the kind of support I find that there's, in climate tech, you mentioned first of a kind hardware startups that require enormous funding so they can demonstrate, you know, for first facilities. So they can then attract other kinds of funding, private equity, growth capital, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, most often it requires quite a bit of a hands-on approach, right? As a venture capital. I was wondering whether breakthrough takes that hands-on approach where you provide a, a, a huge amount of help to founders, be it strategic, resources, market research, opening doors, you name it. Or, or whether you were pretty hands off?
1: No, no. So, coming back to you, Ernie, your earlier comments uh, regarding the availability of the uh, team members, <laughs> uh, we, we're, we're extremely hands on. Um, so, i said that generally VCs tend to provide. Uh, strategic guidance board participation mm-hmm. uh, help with uh, recruitment um, so there's a handful of, of things that a uh, uh, standard VC fund tend to do we do all that and on top of it um, we try to add to that a, a certain number of things that is specific to the um, resources that we have access to so one is for instance technology advisory um, because we mm-hmm. have um, people with um, I would say a scientific background, a PhD, industrial kind of experience, and so on. They they can really go deep into R and D roadmap and try to troubleshoot it whenever um, it's it's needed. So this is something that I would say is is different from other VC firms that we that we, we try to to provide. Um, the other is what I mentioned before about advocacy. So we also I would say create the bridge with the other. Um, teams and programs within the breakthrough energy ecosystem uh, and again that that takes time but for instance if you want to help uh, a European entrepreneur to tap into a public funding tool well sometimes it feels like you need a PhD in order to get there because it's it's really complex yeah. um, and so we make the bridge with the advocacy team that can put you in front of the President of EIF or EIB, um, and, and so this is what we we try as much as possible to do.
0: And you're one of those funds that are that has the critical mass, right? Critical size where you could technically fund a startup all the way to IPO, virtually, right? And I believe you do invest at really early stage, pre-seed, and all the way to Series B and C. Do you? Are you stringent on valuations, or is this something that you're very disciplined on and say, ah, this is overvalued? Or it doesn't matter it's all about how transformative this can get
1: so uh, there's there's no one fits all on that answer because i think that there's different sensibilities if you were to compare one partner to the other uh having boots on the ground in europe Mm. i would say that they're a bit more rational when it comes to (laughs) valuation than some of my american uh, colleagues although i do have to acknowledge that yeah sometimes we do come across businesses that are Truly transformative for our society as as a whole. Um, so CFS is a good example. I mean, if, if Fusion uh, could provide us with yeah, Fusion yeah. So um, it, it, I mean, that company raised what uh, a year ago. I think they raised a bit more than than a billion. Well, obviously, if you want the uh, entrepreneurs to uh, be left with something, uh, somehow. Significant and the capital, and you also want to reflect on the fact that that technology could be truly transformative. Uh, well, you have a valuation that is that is pretty enormous as well. Um, but so it's I, at the end of the day, I think that. In general, valuation in venture capital is more an art than a science, to be honest.
0: I'm glad to hear it from you. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a, a discussion. I think that cultural differences are a little bit more at play here, um, where Americans tend to take more risk uh, on that front uh, than, than Europeans do. Uh, although it changes a bit huh, in, in in Europe, I have and we have come across a number of entrepreneurs that dare to ask for pretty pretty high valuation. Kind of, yeah, not so sure you're there yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but it's, the ambition is um, shining. Yeah, which is good. I mean, we need European entre- entrepreneurs to um, voice the ambition a little bit more clearly. Uh, I think it's just that. They have to do the whole package in terms of ambition, not just on the valuation, if it's possible. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Actually, well, let's speak about the, the European versus uh, U.S. cultural differences. Is it any, anything else that strikes you as a recurring where you need to brief and support and mentor the European founders a bit more?
1: We, we are really, really, really bad at pitching. Really, <laughs> I'm going to say it simply. We suck at, at pitching. We, we need yeah. to get really better at that um, because we don't speak the same language as the American and that hurts us. And that's really um, a shame uh, because uh, the pool of entrepreneurs we have in Europe are just as good as the one that we see uh, in, in in North America. Science is equally as good. Another point is that, for instance, in, in the United States, they have a few um, hubs in terms of universities and incubators and so on. And so, I mean, you know what you get when you talk to an entrepreneur coming out of MIT or Stanford and mm-hmm. so on. Um, in Europe, it's much more scattered. It doesn't mean that any of them are bad at it. Uh, it's just that it's it's more difficult to keep track of the reputation and, and the level of, of uh, scientific innovation of, I don't know, let's say 30 uh, universities across Europe than four in the United States. Um, and so that's another thing where it's just too bad because we don't um, shine <laughs> like the, the the Americans do.
0: Actually, you know what? I, I've been noodling on, on this question for so long because I lived six years in the States, came back to Europe and there was a striking fact, the fact that we we're so bad at marketing and storytelling. And it is a culture. It's a profound cultural difference, but it also boils down to in the U S when you grew up, you have storytelling all over you, right? From Hollywood to, 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 to books, to movies and songs and everything that surrounds you. It is so culturally entrenched. We don't really have that in Europe, but it is a muscle and in a Mm -hmm. muscle that you can definitely work out on, right? You can practice, you can get better at it. I think we just need to accept that we're terrible. And then there has to be a pathway, right? So venture, I insist on this all the time. And I only by now invest in, in, in founders that I feel like can be coached, right? They might be a three or four out of 10 on storytelling, but they can get to eight pretty quickly yeah. because they need That's to true. lay out the crisp vision, the macro milestones. They need to tell you a story of how this industry is going to develop over the next five to 10 years. If they do not have that, it's almost, um, it's a uphill battle and very difficult to, to overcome.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is that sometimes entrepreneurs are, to be honest, we, we come across European entrepreneurs that are geniuses, um, yeah. but they don't articulate and, and voice their thought leadership. So exactly what you said, how am I going through that innovation to transform a whole industry? Yeah. And that uh, tends to be missing from the European pitch. Uh, which is too bad because it's exactly what the Americans want wants to, to hear. It's much more about, this is one I want to go. Um, the way you're going to get there is a little bit less important <laughs> for the Americans. And Europeans tend to say, well, I've done so far. I- I'm here and I would like a little bit of money to get there. And the American, all he wants to hear is, how do I get on the other side of the quadrant? Um And yeah, so True. this, and I think this is completely... Uh, fixable uh it's fairly easy i mean you just pitch your parents pitch your friend uh, until you <laughs> get there
0: <laughs> but you need people like that, that are also kind of tuned to it right they can provide very good feedback if you pitch your mom i'm pretty sure she's probably the wrong audience <laughs> she's just gonna <laughs> nod at whatever you say <laughs> and um another point is within europe so there are cultural differences too right so and belgium surprised me over the last Couple of months because I heard a, a ton of non diluted funding from the the Belgium government. Any, anything you can tell us about whether Belgium is catching up in this climate battle, or what is your opinion, being a, a citizen?
1: I I hope I mean there's, um I think that Belgium is is realizing that the next revolution is the green one, and mm-hmm. so this is an opportunity um, to put back people at work. Uh, to reinvent itself a little bit. Um, I mean, if you look at the staff of the country, we have more than 25% unemployment. Uh, could we put those people really? back to wow. work with, for instance, uh, installing heat pumps? Um, so, yeah, it, it, this, I would say that uh, policymakers are catching up with, with that opportunity now that we've been hit with um, natural gas prices since the war in Ukraine, and kind of realizing that all of this is um, I would say uh, two to, to sides of the same coin, um, and, and that at the end of the day, uh, we can move to uh, green energy uh, while reinventing a little bit or uh, re-putting a little bit more dynamism in, in our economy. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't expect Belgium to be our, the forefront of, of of anything. To be uh, to be honest, we are. All right. Uh, it's-
0: Hopefully, they can right along people. well, though. <laughs> <laughs> and and the final question is is really something that comes up as well. Most people, you know, compare the political action of policy making versus um venture versus entrepreneurship, right? So, uh, are we going to solve this crisis with innovation, technological innovation, or with policy innovation? And because you're one of those bigger funds, you've reached critical mass, and you have the Bill Gates and the likes, and you know, as a tailwind. Can you are you actively lobbying to push for new green reforms? Is something that it is in the DNA of your fund or not?
1: Absolutely, we need both. To be honest, um, I mean, once you have the technology, but you don't have the process for permitting, that doesn't work. You have the technology, but you don't have the the business model, that doesn't work. Uh, so we absolutely need uh, both, and this is something that we work daily uh, daily on. Um, so, for instance, the team uh, working on advocacy in the U.S., um, they were very close uh, to um, everybody working on ira uh, and there's a certain number of, I would say, suggestions that that, that came from, from, from us. Um, and it's the same here uh, in Europe. We have a variety of different programs. We work very closely with the European Commission. Um, we have, for instance, tomorrow a, a workshop where we're going to put a number of entrepreneurs in front of policymakers so that they understand what are the hurdles that they face um, and which policy innovation they actually need uh, to see happening to to be able to go to market uh, and to deploy their um, technology at large
0: here here so it seems like as those funds in Europe scale to a critical size they also need to get involved into lobbying, policymaking, and try to push sort of for reforms too.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Thanks so much, Allegra. This has been an awesome conversation. Super insightful to go backstage and learn more about breakthrough. So thank you very much for coming on Climate Insiders.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And if you have any other questions, I promise I'll make myself available. <laughs>
0: All right. (laughs) Thanks so much. And to all of you, as always, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't already sign up for my weekly newsletter, along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund a startup. My newsletter is value packed, authentic and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier and it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impact.